This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Everybody, <laughs> I think we got it now. This new board is uh, giving me some headaches this morning. It's six minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. I think we got it. Um, uh, it is 40 degrees here in Hayesville, North Carolina. It's the 11th day of January 2023. And... Uh, you know, it was a it was a fairly light sports night last night, so I was you know sitting around yesterday afternoon, trying to figure out what direction the show was going to take this morning. And then the Boston Red Sox, the gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> gave me my story for today, uh, or my lead story for today, and that of course the news that Trevor's story, uh, who was going to be taking Xander Bogart's place at shortstop after they blew that negotiation and allowed him to sign with the San Diego Padres. Trevor Story, who was supposed to be the Red Sox shortstop, had elbow surgery yesterday and is out probably for at least six months. So that leaves the Red Sox, a team that already had holes everywhere, with another one because they don't have – they don't have any depth on this roster. It is brutal. I mean, think about this. Um, they don't have a guy uh, who has played significant minutes or significant innings at shortstop on this roster. Kike Hernandez has played there like 10 times in the last couple of years. Uh you know, so where are they going to go? I mean, Christian Arroyo came up as a shortstop, he, you know, and he's okay. The problem with Christian Arroyo is he can't stay healthy, right? I mean, uh, he's been on the uh, the injured list like four times in the last two seasons, missed like 70 or 80 games. So it's – there's nothing there. You know, any depth that the Red Sox have in the middle infield – is two, three, four years away from making the majors. You know, guys like Marcelo Meyer, who was just drafted, I mean, it's going to be a little while before we see them. So now you go into this season, you were planning on Kike Hernandez playing center field. If, if they don't do anything now with Trevor Story out at least six months, and you move Kike Hernandez into shortstop, which, by the way, is his third best position, I, I, you know, you could make the case that center's his best position, even though he prefers to play second base. If you move him into shortstop, then what do you do for center field? You know, what's, you, what's your option? Jaron Duran? Jaron Duran had 73 starts in center field last year and was awful. 
You know, and the thing with Duran, I still think the kid's got talent, and he shows at times that he can hit the snot out of the ball. We know he he's got some defensive liabilities. He certainly has the speed to go get the ball. The problem is he just hasn't figured out the correct angles and 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 hasn't gotten better defensively. So what do you do? You know, and people are trying to kill Heim Bloom on this one. Oh, you know, this was, you know, when when did the Red Sox know about this? You know, this is this is another mistake by Heim Bloom in the front office. Look, I am no Heim Bloom defender. Anybody that's listening to this show knows that. I think the guy has mismanaged this team from day one. He came in here with a small market mentality, and the only reason that the Red Sox signed Raphael Devers is because the ownership stepped in and said, okay, enough, we got to get this done. You know, he's been bargain bin shopping since he got here, and which is why the Red Sox have finished in last place two out of the last three years. Look what he did already for this roster. He let Xander Bogarts walk away. So what do you have? You've got a guy that's now blown out his elbow that was supposed to be your shortstop. You don't really have a second baseman. Your guy that's, you know, your center fielder is probably should be your second baseman. you got a catcher, two catchers. Reese McGuire is, you know, been a backup catcher his entire career. Connor Wong, who they got in the deal for uh, Mookie Betts, has played 33 games in the major leagues. And by the way, he's okay defensively, but he hasn't hit a lick. So you got that going for you. You know, the only place where I feel the Red Sox did anything this year was shoring up that bullpen. They did a great job. I'll give Bloom a lot of credit for that. That bullpen stunk last year. That bullpen cost them a lot of games last year. But this is the American League East. And shoring up that bullpen is not the difference between the Red Sox making the playoffs and not. Because you can make a case with the way everybody else played last year, even if the Red Sox had a better bullpen, they still weren't making the playoffs. And now guys like Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Nate Valdi, who are big parts of a team that finished in last place last year and gave you a chance at least when you went out there, are gone. So what, you know, what, what do they do? But this is not Bloom's fault. The, the only case, the, well, when I say it's not his fault, the only fault I guess you could give him, you know, him is that they signed this guy to a six-year, $140 million contract last year to play second base. People had been concerned about Trevor Story's elbow when he was in Colorado before he even came to Boston, but they obviously felt that it was strong enough to play second base. You know, And he missed some time on the injured list last year, but it wasn't because of the elbow. Right, he had a, a contusion on his heel, and then he got hit in the hand and broke his hand, and missed time for that. But it had nothing to do with his elbow. No, he doesn't have the zip on the ball that he used to have, and but from second base, it was accurate and it was good enough, and he was very athletic. Got the balls that nobody else was going to get to. You can make a case that if he had stayed healthy, he was going to win a Gold Glove at second base last year. And obviously the medical staff took a look at all this before they signed him, and they signed off on it. But when when Xander Bogarts walked away, Trevor Story went to management and said, I want to be your shortstop. I want to come back to play shortstop. 
He knew about the elbow injury, you know, or the soreness or whatever it was that was going on, and he suspected that at some point he might have to have surgery. But he was hoping that with a couple of months off, it was going to be better. Well, he started throwing a week or two before Christmas, and the elbow started acting up. He let the Red Sox know right away. This wasn't like, you know, he was hiding anything or the Red Sox were hiding anything. They knew when he started throwing that it was bad, that his arm hurt, and they went to the doctor and surgery was recommended. Now, it came from out of the blue from this standpoint. They knew about it just before Christmas that this was going to have to happen. They didn't let anybody know. Um, you know, And I'm, I'm wondering if they didn't let anybody know because they were trying to make a move, maybe a trade for a shortstop or whatever, um, and when you find out that the guy that was supposed to be your shortstop is hurt, you lose any leverage you have on the trade market, right? Uh, so, you know, maybe they were, you know, but we're talking about a, a span of a couple of weeks here. They found out just before Christmas. So they kept it quiet for a couple of weeks. He had the surgery yesterday. It was successful. but And, and it wasn't Tommy John surgery. It was it, rather than uh, take a ligament from another part of your body and put it into your elbow, they use some kind of a, for lack of a better word, they use like duct tape, you know, but it's a, it's, it's obviously not duct tape, but they use some kind of a tape to strengthen the ligament and uh, it's supposed to help. And this is, you know, look, other guys have had it before. It's been successful. And the, the, the recovery time, instead of the 12 to 18 months that you have for regular Tommy John surgery. You know, the recovery time for this is somewhere between six and 10 months. There's no guarantee Trevor Story's coming back to play this year. None. So, I, you know, uh, so now the Red Sox, a, a team that already had no depth and was kind of, you know, iffy at best offensively, is in big, big trouble. You know, I you know I had kind of wrapped my head around the idea of okay, you know th- that they'll have story at short. We'll live with Christian Arroyo at second base and kind of see what happens. Maybe they can make some kind of a low level move, and we see what happens and and we'll roll with it. Now, you know, uh, you know, and they announced the signing of uh, of uh, you know Justin Turner, which you know I thought would be a, a good replacement for for J.D. Martinez, and I was, you know, so I was somewhat optimistic. You know, there was still the question of the pitching staff, whether these guys that had been hurt, uh, you know, like Sale and Paxton, you know, whether they were going to be able to be effective members of that rotation. You know, Rich Hill's gone. Nate Evaldi's gone. You still have Nick Pavetta. You still have Tanner Houck. You still have Garrett Whitlock that they're going to throw in there. Um you know, so you know, there was still some hope that maybe they could find a way to, to get this thing going again. But now the news on story and you go, oh, Jesus, <laughs> we're, you know, we're we're a month away from spring training. We're about 80 days away from opening day. And the Red Sox are looking like a last place team in the American League East yet again. Now, there's still time. The problem is, is. Where do you, if you're the Red Sox, you have a decision to make here. You can go out and you can try to make a trade, but you already know that now that teams know that Trevor Story is out and you're desperate, 
the asking price for a trade for anybody that can play second base or shortstop or center field has just gone through the roof for the Boston Red Sox. You know, where you might have been able to, to get somebody for, you know, one decent prospect. Now that one decent prospect you're going to have to get maybe becomes two. You know, so if, you know, what do you do? They have a decision to make, you know, and, and I may kind of make the, the, uh, the argument that maybe the Red Sox shouldn't do anything. Deal with what you have. You know, you put yourself in this boat by mishandling the Bogart situation, by not making, you know, all these other shortstops that were out there and not making any other moves, you know, to shore up your middle infield. When there were options out there at the time, you made your bed. Maybe the Red Sox need to lie in it. Take your lumps yet again this year. The problem with that is is the fans are going to revolt. And then point towards 2024. Look, there's a, a big free agent class coming next year. Um, there's some big names out there. Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent next year. Now, you know, can you imagine what he's going to cost? But he's out there. Manny Machado, who I can't stand, is liable to opt out of his deal with the Padres and will become a free agent. Uh, Juan Soto becomes a free agent. Uh, Max Scherzer, I mean, he's older, but man, I will tell you what, he's a stud. It's still 39 years old. Uh, Julio Urias from the Los Angeles Dodgers will be a free agent next year. You know, so do you suck it up, take your lumps, allow Trevor Story to get healthy, You've already got Rafi Devers locked up. Hope that a guy like Tristan Cassis, you know, has another year to develop and, and he becomes an, an all-star caliber first baseman. Uh, you know, your Japanese import in left field becomes a, a solid player. You know, who, you know do you, so do you do that? Because your other options are limited. There's not much out there on the free agent market. Who's there? What, Jerks and Profar. Oh, pfft. You know, I mean, Jerickson Profar is 35 years old, and, you know, he can play several positions. But he's not great at any of them. Josh Harrison, he can play second base, former Pittsburgh Pirate. Problem is he can't hit a lick. The best shortstop out there is Jose Iglesias. And now he's got history with the Red Sox. He, he played with them for part of a season and was pretty successful. And he's a, a, a good fielding shortstop. You know, I don't know what he's going to give you offensively, but, you know, he's still a free agent. Maybe maybe you go out and you try to sign him to a one-year deal, kind of a stopgap. If you want to look at the trade market, again, it's going to cost you. You know, maybe the, the one guy that might be available is Luis Arias from the Minnesota Twins. We'll talk about this in a minute uh, a little bit more because Carlos Correa – uh, is going to sign with the Twins, finally, fi signing with somebody. So that kind of makes somebody on the Twins expendable because now they have Correa, Arias, uh, Jorge Polanco, and Royce Lewis for two middle infield spots. So one of those guys is going to be the odd man out. Maybe the Red Sox can make a trade to get one of them. Now, I don't know 
you know, if Arias would be the most likely one that they would give up. But, you know, Arias is a average second baseman. What you like about Arias is, is he fits the bat on the ball. Hit 316 last year. He only struck out 43 times in 603 plate appearances. 43 times. That's unheard of in 2022 and 2023. So, I mean, he's an intriguing option, but what's he going to cost you? You know, when they were uh, talking to the uh, Miami Marlins about possibly getting a starting pitcher or uh, a shortstop or a second baseman, I mean, their first talk was, we want Tristan Cassis. You know, they want one of the Red Sox top prospects. And the Red Sox aren't willing to give those guys up. And I'm not sure they should. Not for this. You know, you're not going to give up a guy that is a potential all-star in Tristan Cassis. And look, we've got a long way to go before we know for sure that he is. I mean, he only hit, what, 191 last year. But he showed the ability to get on base. He showed some power. He showed that he can handle first base. Um, uh, You know... I like the kid, I, and I think you have to give him a year or two to develop and see what he can do on, on an everyday basis at the major leagues. He tore up the minors. So I don't think you're giving up a guy who is a potential all-star for Luis Arias. I, I just don't. If you're going to give up a guy like that, you need to get a stud back. And, yes, Arias hit 316 last year. He hit 294 the year before. You know, and he showed that he can hit, you know, his career batting average is 314 over uh, really the equivalent of about two and a, about a, you know, about two seasons, two complete seasons. So, I, you know, and, and if you don't go after him, well, who else might be out there? Well, was Xander Bogart signing with the Padres? The Padres may have somebody to move. Uh, Sung Kim is a good possibility there. South Korean shortstop uh, took the place of Fernando Tatis Jr. last year when he got suspended and was a dynamite defensive uh, shortstop. Dynamite. Doesn't hit a lot. Hit about 250. OPS of 708. Doesn't strike out a ton. 100 times in 582 plate appearances. That's pretty good. Um, So he's a good possibility. Jake Cronenworth could be a possibility. Cronenworth not going to play shortstop for you, but he could play second base. You know, um, because he also can play – he can play short, but he's not a shortstop. He is a second baseman. He can also play first if you need him to. There's some talk about maybe moving him into the outfield because they've got a log jam now with Xander Bogarts there. But again, you're not giving up Tristan Cassis or Brian Bayo for any of those three guys. And that's what a team's going to want now. And that, you know, they know they have you over a barrel. There are there are teams right now, I guarantee you, calling Heim Bloom saying, hey, I got a guy for you. It'll only cost you the low price of two of your best 10 prospects. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. So, you know, if you're the Red Sox, I don't think I don't think you want to do that. If I'm Heim Bloom right now, what do I do? 
I call Jose Iglesias' agent. That's who I call. And I think I sign Jose Iglesias. He can play a solid shortstop. He'll get on base a little bit. Um, he's got a relationship with Alex Cora. He was a good citizen when he was there. You know, he's got a reputation at times of not being one. Um, but he was a good citizen when he was with the Red Sox. He can hold down that shortstop position defensively. Whatever you get out of him offensively would be a bonus. He's not going to cost you a ton. You can sign him to a one-year contract. You keep Christian Arroyo at second base. Pray to God he stays healthy. You leave Kike out in center field, and boom, there you go. You know, look, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. You know, maybe Reese McGuire becomes a, uh, a, a an all-star caliber catcher. Maybe Christian Arroyo stays healthy and hits you 260, 270 and plays a solid second base. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe. But at this point, you've made your bet. If you're Heimblum, there's not a lot of other places that you can go without giving up a lot of capital. And one of Heimblum's things when he came here was about sustainability and building up that farm system. Well, if you make a desperation move just to fill a hole because Trevor Story's out for at least six months, now that would bring if it's if it's only six months, he's back before the All Star break, so you'd have half a season of Trevor Story. That's best case scenario. Could be out for the whole year, but you know, and they said they're not counting on him coming back. They can't bank on that. But I think Jose Iglesias is right now for Boston the best way to go. I really do, and then I would like to see them you know, make a run next year. Look, they've got, you know, their rotation will be okay this year if they stay, if Sale and Paxton stay healthy. You've got Corey Kluber that that you sign uh, to a, to a one-year contract plus an option, and you've got some combination of Bayo, Whitlock, Hauk, for, and Pavetta for those last two spots in the rotation, and that gives you, you know, a little bit of depth. And those guys all stay healthy. You know, maybe you can contend. The problem is it's the American League East. If you were in the American League Central, I'd feel a lot better about it. If you were in the American League West, I'd feel a whole hell of a lot better about it. But now you're competing with the Yankees and the Blue Jays who are loaded. The Rays who, you know, you look at their roster every year and you kind of go, meh. But then you find out, you know, there they are in first or second place all the time because they find a way somehow. And then you have the Baltimore Orioles, and you know who who knows whether what they did last year was an outlier, and they'll be able to repeat it this year or not. But right now, the Red Sox are the last place team in that division. You know, and if Masataka Yoshida, the kid they signed from Japan, uh, is as good as advertised and can be a top of the rotation kind of guy. And, you know, look, if, if uh, Kike Hernandez stays healthy and it finds his bat again, and if Alex Verdugo, you know, we know Devers is going to hit. We know Justin Turner can produce. If Tristan Cassis can produce, you know, in his first full season. Th- the problem is when you're listening to me talking about this, everything is if, 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 if. There's too many ifs to go out and spend some capital on bringing in Luis Arias or Jake Cronenworth or Sung Kim. Just – 
do something simple and small and roll the dice with what you got. So the, the Trevor Story thing is not Bloom's fault. They did not mislead the fans. They did not do anything wrong here. This was just simply a case of Trevor Story starting his throwing program in the offseason. The elbow started acting up, and they got on it right away. There was no conspiracy here. This is not Bloom's fault. What is his fault is the mess that this roster is in right now. It didn't have to be this way. And if he had done things the right way, Trevor Story getting hurt would not be the end of the world. But as it stands right now, Trevor Story getting hurt has the Red Sox season, uh, their ability to even contend for half the year in great jeopardy. Got some other Red Sox news, some uh, other news around Major League Baseball. We'll get to that when we come back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. By the way, before we get to uh, the, the rest of the baseball news, did you see this morning, here we go again. If I needed any more um, uh, reason not to fly, what's going on today, it gives me another reason. You know, we saw that debacle with Southwest Airlines around the Christmas season with all the uh, flights canceled and yada, 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 and – Today, there was a computer outage at the FAA that has uh, basically brought all air transportation in the United States to a screeching halt. Um, <laughs> there's already been like d- over 2,000 delays. Uh, it's going to there's going to be a ripple effect throughout the day. There's going to be cancellations. Uh, it's just incredible. You know, uh, of course, we live uh, down here in Hayesville. We live near Atlanta, the busiest airport in the world. Uh, and uh, they already, at, at 7 o'clock this morning, already had a few hundred cancellations, and it was just going to get worse. Um, the FAA uh, prohibited any airline from taking off until at least uh, 10 p.m. this morning. Now, obviously, planes are in the air. They're, they're going to allow to land. But they were not going to allow any takeoffs till 10 o'clock this morning, Eastern time. Uh, they said they're working on it and trying to bring the, you know, bring the, the, uh, the system back online. But right now, um, the, the system that they use to calculate the airspace, our national airspace, uh, is down. It's just Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, it's not bad enough you get it with the uh, the long lines and, you know, getting to the airport, you know, 87 hours before your flight. And, you know, it's uh, and I'm not even, you know, and look, uh, I'm not even criticizing the uh, the security measures after 9-11. You know what? I mean, I do. I think they went a little overboard with some of the stuff. Yeah. And they're relaxing some of it, like the the amount of liquids that you can bring on uh, your carry ons is, you know, start, some of that's starting to be relaxed a little bit. But I'm OK with the security part of it. The problem that I have is it sounds like so many of these computer systems that these airlines are using and obviously that the FAA is using uh, are antiquated or it's on old equipment or whatever, old hardware. I don't know, but it's one thing after another. It's crazy. You know, it's my wife and I are planning to uh, go out and visit her uh, cousin, Laura, and her husband, Steve, out in uh, Texas this year. And we live, you know, we live in, we don't live in the middle of the country, but now that we live a little farther, we decided, you know what? We don't like to fly. Neither Barbara or I have ever been really, you know, 
comfortable flying. I'm a control freak. So I want to be, you know, you could say, and you could tell me all you want that uh, air travel is safer than driving in your car. You know, percentage-wise, you have a better chance of dying in a car accident than you have dying in a plane crash. I get it. But you know what? I want to have control. If there's a chance that I'm going to die in a car crash or, or die in some kind of a transportation accident, I want to at least have the control to save my ass. I may not be able to, but not having control makes me nervous. So being in a plane and having no, no say over anything that happens is not a comfortable thing for me. So we're going out to El Paso, Texas later on this year. And Barb and I looked at each other, and we said, there's no way in hell we're flying. So we're going to drive 21 hours to El Paso, Texas. And I've told people that, and they look at me and said, are you nuts? Maybe. The good news is Barb and I both like to drive. Now, uh, and I don't mean to disparage the the state of Texas. But driving across the state of Texas, outside of driving across the state of Montana or the state of uh, Wyoming, may be the most boring drive in history. And I would, you'll make, I'll make the case that Wyoming and Montana are way better. Yeah, they're flat and they're straight and there's nothing there. But at least the the the, uh, uh, the scenery is better. There's mountains. You know, it, it's you know. Driving across Texas, in my opinion, not fun. I've done it. But we're going to do it again uh, because just because I don't want to fly. And what happened <laughs> this morning with the FAA gives me another reason not to fly. So, I mean, we're looking forward to the trip. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, 21 hours to me in a car is still better than waiting, at, you know, at an airport, you know, two hours or two and a half hours each direction and then praying to God your flight gets off and then praying to God you don't go into the ground like a dart. So to me, I'll drive 21 hours all day long. No problem. You know, and we're going to make a couple of stops on the way out and on the way back and, you know, see a few things. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how often we'll do it, but uh, we're looking forward to it. But I definitely don't like flying. And the FAA just just brought that home to me again this morning. So thanks, guys. Um, Other Red Sox news is more uh, broadcast news, Nesson news. Uh, Nesson has announced their broadcasting team for uh, this coming baseball season. And Dave O'Brien is back. I think it's the last year or two coming up in Dave O'Brien's contract. But as of right now, Dave O'Brien back on play-by-play. Um, with the retirement of Dennis Eckersley, um, it's going to be Kevin Euclid is going to be the main color guy. They're also going to bring in uh, Will Middlebrooks, who did a nice job <coughs> to do some games. I guess Tim Wakefield's going to step in every now and then. The best news for me and for a lot of Red Sox fans is that Tony Maserati is not going to come back. And look, I personally like Tony Maserati as a person, and I, 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 I liked him as a reporter. Um, I got to know him a little bit in the press box at Fenway Park. Uh, I think he's a funny guy, but I think he's an awful analyst. The, the one thing that he will do, and I'll give him credit for this, if the Red Sox stink, he's not afraid to say on the air that they stink. You know, uh, even on the Nesson broadcast that are, by the way, owned by the Red Sox uh, ownership. He's not afraid to say that, so I'll give him that. But he's not—he's he, not—he wasn't great, and he talks too much. You know, a color analyst should not uh, should not be talking all the time. He never lets the game breathe, and that you know that becomes a bit of a problem. And his voice is a little annoying too. I 
personally like the guy. Don't get me wrong. And and um, I know he's very popular. He has a, a sports talk show in the afternoons on 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston, um, uh, Felger and Maserati. And, and uh, you know, they're – they win their their time slot all the time. People like him because they say outrageous things. And uh, but he's not going to be back on Red Sox broadcast, and I'm pretty happy about that. Pretty happy about it. Uh, all right, now the the Carlos Correa saga that I alluded to, and the reason that Luis Arias might be available for the Red Sox if they want to go out and try to get him. Um, Carlos Correa <laughs> finally signed with a team this. Off season, of course, as you remember, he originally reached an agreement with the San Francisco Giants back in the middle of December for a 13-year contract for 350 million bucks. Giants then schedule a news conference for a week later, uh, but of course, they have to go through a physical. Everything, you know. Look, this is it's standard procedure. Every uh, free agent contract is always a letter of agreement signed between the. Uh, uh, the agent and the club, but everything is pending a physical. 99.9% of the time, this is never a problem. But Carlos Correa had an injury early in his career uh, to his ankle that gave the Giants enough pause to think that over the length of a 13-year contract, he wouldn't be able to be very effective late in that deal. So they backed off, and they said, you know what? Never mind. Well, as soon as the Giants backed off, the New York Mets came swooping in the next night and signed him to a 12-year deal for $315 million, pending a physical. Uh, so he got one last year and $35 million fewer dollars, but he had a deal with the New York Mets pending a physical. I guess maybe the maybe the Mets figured that the Giants were overreacting. I, I don't know. Well, then the Mets, of course, get the physical, look at the reports, and go, hmm, well, maybe the Giants were right after all. And so this dragged on from the middle of December until yesterday. And the Mets just kept balking, and they kept trying to renegotiate, saying, you know what, here's the deal. We're not going to give you that. We'll give you, we'll give you six years for $157 million, basically cutting the the, uh, the offer in half. And Correa walked away. And so yesterday, he signed a six-year contract to stay with the Minnesota Twins. And I say with the Twins because he was with the Twins last season. He had a three-year deal with the Twins that he signed, but it gave him an opt-out after the first year so he could go back out in the free agent market if he didn't want to stay in Minnesota. So he decided to opt out after that one year and now has to go back to them, kind of with his tail between his legs, and, and accept a six-year deal for $200 bucks. Now, there are uh, provisions in this deal with Minnesota that gives the team options in 2029, 2030, 31, and 32. And it's all based on plate appearances if he you know if he can stay healthy and he has uh uh 575 plate appearances in 2028 now all of a sudden the club has to pay him 25 million dollars in 2029 you know and it goes on every year as long as he 
meets a threshold in plate appearances, which basically means he stays healthy and can stay on the field, then this deal could end up working out to be $245 million or $260 million over nine seasons if he stays healthy. And this is a way for the Twins to protect themselves. The, the Mets were trying to do something similar, but the money was significantly less. The Mets offered him six years for 157. The Twins are giving him six for $200 million. So he's getting another $43 million for six years. And if he stays healthy, that could jump up significantly for another uh, uh, four or five years. So, you know, Correa is obviously going for the money. He's obviously comfortable in Minnesota. He played there for a year. But it's also pending a physical. But, you know, look, the, the, the Minnesota Twins had him on their roster last year. They obviously have seen all the reports now. So it's pending a physical. But I think at this point, this is just a formality. They know that that ankle is could be a problem down the road and they're protecting themselves and Carlos Correa is finally going to have a home. They haven't announced this officially, but you know, everybody knows it. It's, you know, the, the agents have leaked it. Uh, and now we just wait and see when it it becomes official. I would imagine sometime next week and Carlos Correa will be with the Minnesota twins. Um, and look, you know, the Mets are probably pissed. We know the giants were pissed. But at the end of the day, the Mets had a hell of an offseason. You know, could the Mets still use him? Well, of course. <laughs> Who couldn't? You know, a lot of people wanted the Red Sox. As soon as the, the Mets deal looked like it was falling apart, people wanted to know why the Red Sox weren't out trying to get him. And you could make a deal, uh, you could make a case, uh, six years, $200 million for a guy of that talent level is a bargain. And if you're the Red Sox, why didn't you consider it? And again, I think the Red Sox didn't want to tie up a lot of money for next year. I think there is a, a part of them that is planning on making a run at an Otani, perhaps, or at a Max Scherzer or uh, Julio Urias or somebody like that next year. So they didn't want to lock up. They've already got Rafi Devers locked up to a long-term deal. And I think they wanted to keep the payroll flexibility for next year because they already look. They had already decided they couldn't afford both Xander Bogarts and Rafi Devers. So going out and signing Carlos Correa put him basically the same in the same salary level as Xander Bogarts. So if they weren't going to do it for Bogarts, uh, it would have looked awful strange if they did it for Carlos Correa. So we'll see, but it's probably going to be official next week. But the, it looks like the Carlos Correa trip around Major League Baseball is finally over, and he's uh, got a team to play for next year. Uh, other news around uh, Major League Baseball, um, uh, Liam Hendricks has announced the closer for the Chicago White Sox uh, that he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, he just got diagnosed, uh, began treatment on Monday. Uh, you know, the good news is that the five-year survival rate for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is almost 75%. Um, some forms are aggressive, others are slow-growing, so it's just a matter of, uh, you know, they got it in the early stages, so they're hoping that, uh, that you know, they can take care of this and, and he'll be okay. Uh, again, when you hear about cancer, 
the last thing you worry about is whether you're going to play or not again. I mean, look, he's made a lot of money in his career. He led the uh, White Sox with 37 saves last year, made his third All-Star game appearance. Um, you know, I, look, I hope he's going to be able to play again, but most importantly, I hope he's going to be all right. You just you, you never, never want to hear that word cancer. Um, so uh, we'll just uh, say a few prayers for, for Liam Hendricks. And uh, Major League Baseball lifted the lifetime ban on John Coppolella, who used to be the general manager for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Coppolella was uh, kicked out in 2017 after it was determined that he violated the rules uh, severely uh, related to the signing of international players, uh, basically hiding uh, what they were doing and hiding money and, and you know giving them kind of off-the-books uh, payments and, and benefits and stuff like that. And uh, he was kicked out for the year, but he applied for reinstatement, and Rob Manfred gave it to him. Uh, look, Coppola was a, a very good general manager for the Braves. This is a guy that uh, was responsible, really, for them winning the, the World Series title in 2021. He's the one that traded for Dansby Swanson and Max Freed. Uh, he's the guy that saw, that drafted Austin Riley, uh, that signed Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, so this guy built that championship team for the Atlanta Braves, but obviously he was doing some shady stuff on the other side. Uh, and now Alex Anthopoulos, obviously... Uh, is running the Braves. I, I don't know whether Coppola will get a job. I imagine he will at some point. Uh, but lifetime ban, you don't usually see it get lifted. I mean, there's still a couple of guys in Major League Baseball that have lifetime bans, and people you know, want to know when they're going to get reinstated. And, of course, that's Pete Rose and uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was a member of the 1919 Chicago Blacks, uh, White Sox, part of the Black Sox scandal when uh, they were accused of uh, throwing the World Series with the Reds and, and, you know, uh, Shoeless Joe supposedly has took some money. Uh, but here's the thing. If Shoeless Joe really did that. And if you look at his numbers in the world series, he tore the cover off the ball. He was hitting the snout of the ball. He wasn't throwing anything. So I find it hard to believe, uh, you know, all accounts are Shoeless Joe was not the smartest, uh, or we're not the sharpest tool in the shed. And, uh, uh, there are some guys that admitted to it, and there are some guys you can look at their performance in the World Series and go, yeah, he did. Uh, but all those guys that were implicated in the Black Sox scandal were banned for life from baseball, still haven't been uh, brought back. And I don't think, I don't, I, you know, look, uh, I think Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame. I know he bet on baseball, but he always bet on him to win. But at the end of the day, that is the cardinal sin in Major League Baseball is betting and gambling. And Shoeless Joe was uh, involved with gamblers. Pete Rose was a, a, a degenerate gambler and still is. And I don't know that they, I mean, I don't know they'll ever get reinstated. I still think they both belong in the Hall of Fame. But at the end of the day, when you break that kind of rule, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know that that will happen in my lifetime. But John Coppolella, he didn't gamble. He just kind of was a little did some shady business deals but but at least he didn't gamble that's i guess that's the way major league baseball looks at it 51 minutes past yeah we got to take another quick break because i've been talking too long back in a minute you're listening to the wake-up call on sports country it is 53 minutes past the hour welcome back to the wake-up call here on a wednesday morning uh how about the miami heat last night they set an nba record going 40 for 40 
from the free throw line. Did not miss a free throw all night, and they needed every one of them. Uh, they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder last night, uh, 112 to 111. Uh, Jimmy Butler uh, hit a free throw uh, on a three-point play with 12.9 seconds left to give Miami that win. Uh, that was top the record set by the Utah Jazz against Portland back in 1982. 40 for 40 from the free throw line. That's, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, by the way, Jimmy Butler, uh, who led Miami with 35 points last night, hit 23 of them himself. 23 for 23 from the free throw line. Pretty impressive. Uh, UConn men and women, both in action tonight. The UConn men ranked sixth in the country. Uh, we'll take on number 25, Marquette, tonight. Game is on CBS uh, Sports. Um, Huskies are 1-2 and two in their last three games. They dropped from number two to the country down to number six. Uh, they're going to have their hands full tonight, no question about it. Uh, look, Marquette's a pretty good team, but uh, I, th- I still think UConn is one of the top three or four teams in the country. Would not shock me at all if UConn goes um, uh, to the national championship this year. 15-2, and 4-2 and two in the Big East. Uh, but another big one on the road tonight at Marquette. And the UConn women are going to be able to play tonight. There was some question about whether they were going to have enough healthy players to play against St. John's tonight, but they will. Uh, it will be at Islanders Arena in Elmont, New York tonight. Uh, UConn women ranked number four, and there is a pretty good chance that AZ Fudd is going to return for the Huskies tonight. She has been out for the last six weeks with a knee injury. And look, with their top player, Paige Beckers, out for the year, uh, it really was going to fall to Fudd. She was going to have to carry the load, and with her getting hurt, it certainly didn't help. But uh, they're hoping to get her back tonight. Aaliyah Edwards, who got hurt at Butler on Thursday, uh, hurt her right ankle. She is going to be able to play tonight as well. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, UConn, they're not going to be completely healthy. Uh, and this is going to be a tough game tonight. This is the best Probably the best St. John's team in a long time. They are off to a 14-1 and start. They are 5-1 and in conference play. Um, and, you know, look, they play good defense. They're holding opponents at just 54 points a game. And they're a pretty good outside shooting team. They shoot about 35% from three-point range. And they only commit 12 fouls a game. That is second best in Division One, So uh, UConn's got their, hand, their hands full tonight, no question. Gino Ariema will not be there tonight. The head coach for the Huskies is going to miss his third straight game. Uh, he's taking a leave of absence, has not been feeling well. Um, you know, they, they haven't really said what it is, uh, but he's dealt with COVID, and, and, and it could be that uh, he isn't bouncing back very well. But whatever it is, uh, Chris Daly will be uh, coaching the Huskies uh, tonight against St. John's. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Appreciate you all starting to find your way back to us. Uh, We're back doing the show every day, and uh, the listenership is starting to go back up, and I appreciate those of you that uh, that hung with us uh, while we were doing it just on Fridays. And uh, I think now that we're going to do Facebook just on Fridays, I think we we got the Internet thing squared away at least for now. So we'll see you tomorrow. We're going to leave you with some music from Lane Hardy. It's called Hurricane. Love this song. Talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.